Vince Marlowe, Editor-in-Chief of Breitbart News, and this is the Breitbart News Daily Podcast. In the opening of today's show, we get into two big topics. First, Disney has ousted CEO Bob Chepik and replaced him with former CEO Bob Iger. This is a big victory for the anti-woke. Chepik has been one of the most villainous figures in American media in recent years, and we love to see him go, and we explain. Then we get into the latest on President Trump. He's being investigated yet again. He's been invited back to Twitter by God King Elon Musk, and he is being attacked by the deplorable Paul Ryan. He's in the news all day, every day, yet again, just how he likes it, and there is a lot to report. Plus, we get into a few other topics before we speak with Congressman Steve Scalise, who will be the majority leader of the next Congress. We get his take on the speakership race, the investigative and legislative agenda the new Congress will put forward, and his take on election denier Hakeem Jeffries, who's likely to be the minority leader, plus much more. Let's get into it. Over Disney, Bob Iger is back as CEO, and Bob Chepik is out. Of course, Bob Chepik had to go. It is very obvious he was presiding over the most embarrassing run in the history of the uh, Disney Corporation, and he just couldn't get one right. Almost everything he's done is has been very bad. Um, Disney had their worst day in stocks in 21 years a week or so ago. They began layoffs, hiring freezes, limiting employees' travel. Stock continued to crash, and it is pretty clear he had no idea what he was doing. Uh, and uh, why that is, you know, with a company that size, I'm not going to act like I know exactly how to, to run that thing, but they're putting Bob Iger back in, who was seen as a pretty unifying figure, just recently retired the CEO there. And um, is uh, the, he's going to come back for a couple years, but he was hopefully going to leave that role. Let's let's see what they're doing. Um, Disney's stock over the last, uh, this year is down 41%. So that's, that's a bad run. It's a bad run. And he hasn't been there that long. He's not like a Mark Zuckerberg type or an Elon Musk type where, you know, maybe if their company is doing badly this year, it's a, he's made them so much money. Like Elon Musk and Zuckerberg, I mean, they've made their shareholders who've been with them for the long haul so much money that even though Facebook, for example, is down, you know, 70% this year, uh, Facebook was a site that was a kind of this cruel site that was designed to rate girls on their hotness. And then it turned into a college social network. And then now it's one of the biggest, kind of almost like it's a secondary simplified version of the internet that's used by, you know, close to a billion people or something. So if that stock crashes, then what's Zuckerberg going to say? What are you going to do? It's a, I had a, I'm doing pretty good overall. The, Bob Chepik has no narrative like that. He came in recently and um, he did a the terrible job. The stock's cratering. And he makes these terrible decisions like fighting Ron DeSantis, uh, the governor of Florida, even though it's a Florida-based company, on what? Woke stuff. Of, uh, on the parental rights bills. Taking a bold stand. A company that is designed to reach young people and to reach families. And what kind of content are they putting out? Mediocre Star Wars stuff. Mediocre Marvel stuff, which kind of holding the, probably the stuff that's propping up the network in general. 
Um, the other thing that's noteworthy with their terrible their terrible stock is that a lot of their products are very hard to avoid for families. Um, the Disney parks are pretty great and they fill up and they charge exorbitant amounts of money for people to go there. Uh, the Disney plus app is almost essential for families because, and I don't say this to endorse it because, but if you like star Wars, if you like Pixar, if you like Marvel, if you like classic Disney, you don't have anywhere to go. They've got all the content and they have other stuff there too. So he's got this baseline of all this money that's going to come in from those routes, and he's still losing money. It's it's almost impossible to do. I don't know how you could screw this up, and yet Bob Chepik did. And I was saying to, uh, when I was prepping for the show, and this news broke last night, and I went to go to bed, and was talking to Mrs. Dr. Marla, I was saying to her what was going on. I said, it's kind of, it's always exciting when breaking news comes in late at night. And um, I was saying uh, Bob Chepik is one of my least favorite type of woke libs because I don't feel like he's genuinely that committed to the wokeness. And maybe I'm judging a book by its cover, but he's a 67, maybe not 67. Why is that number jumping up at me? Uh, But he's a 60 something year old white guy, cis hetero, bald, chubby, super duper rich. Uh, this guy has not thought about trans stuff and imposing trans LGBTQ plus two spirit, three spirit, four spirit, five spirit values on uh, children and families via, uh, you know, the educational content and uh, entertainment content until 20 minutes ago. That was the first time he ever thought about this stuff. And now he's all in on it. That type of evil is very insidious to me. Because there's something more I respect more about people who I think are more ideologically pure. He just is rolling over to the woke people that surround him. And it's not working from a business front. It's a it's purely a pressure front. And Florida puts out this anti-grooming law. Simple stuff. Basic stuff. Stuff that's obviously very popular. And he, he's like a big opponent to it. Why? No reason for it. And then he finally suggested in September that the essence of the brand was misused in the fight against the anti-grooming bill. So I remember when Hulu, which was largely owned by Disney, I think like two thirds, was pressured to run Democrats anti-abortion, Democrats pro-abortion and anti-gun ads, which they were trying to avoid doing it. Um, Disney owns ESPN, which has done terribly of late, not just his fault, another woke thing. They the woke Buzz Lightyear, that show Baymax, where they, they incorporated gay characters, surprisingly. Uh, I know that they've got another thing that's coming out with some more gay characters in it for kids. Yeah, so it'd been over two years since shares had been below $100 or $91.80. Uh, that took place over the summer. So inflation probably doesn't help also. So And they were starting to clean house of executives who were putting too much emphasis on this anti-grooming bill that was so famous from um, the last year or so. I will say there's not a, uh, there's, there's not a lot of bad news in this, but it's particularly good news if you're a Ron DeSantis fan because this, was, this is, is seen definitely as a scalp figuratively speaking, Fusora's fund freaks for Ron DeSantis, 
who was hold, held his ground as the anti-grooming bill, had a dominant performance in the elections, and uh, Bob Chapek's stock went through the floor. Now he's out. Um, so Bob Iger is back in, uh, who had been in charge of Disney for a long time. And what was he doing previously? I don't have it all in front of me because it broke late. Um, but he's a he uh, he is had had a lot deal a much greater deal of success in this job. And he, he, I think, committed to another two-year run. So I guess he'd worked at Disney for 47 years. Is that true? For Iger? That makes sense. I think Iger is seven years old. Looks pretty good for 70, got to say. Got to say. 71. Looks like in good shape. So um, let's see what happens. I'm super excited about this for a number of reasons. Disney's been a fascinating company to, to track. As a news person, it's all extra fascinating when you have a bunch of young kids who inevitably are going to consume some of their content. And it's a massive distraction when you're putting on things that are just terrific works of art that have been produced by the Disney brand for the last hundred years. And you have to be distracted knowing that what the company stands for now is absolute dra- trash and garbage. Um, so let's see what happens. So that's the first item for today. Uh, next item for today is Trump-related. Merrick Garland named a special counsel on Trump. This came out yesterday, Friday news dump. And it is specifically about him being a, Trump being a candidate. So the focuses of investigation are going to be, are you are you sitting down? Are, are you seated? Keep two, hands at 10 and 2. Though 9 and 3 if you're wearing a wristwatch. Look it up. Uh, the main objective here is to investigate Donald Trump's efforts to overturn the 2020 election. Isn't that cool? They'll also be looking into, you still seated? The documents he took to Mar-a-Lago with him. I've been thinking about the Mar-a-Lago documents, and I've had a slight change of heart um, on this because I obviously think that Donald Trump did not take any documents he wasn't supposed to take. Um, I don't think that he, I think the chance that Trump was going to use those documents that in order to, you know, sell them to Kim Jong-un um, or to use them to do harm to Joe Biden, the Biden administration. I, I don't believe any of that, but I'm starting to think that it was too, um, it, it was reckless and hurt himself. Not to say there's anything that bad in there or that he's going to do anything with them or that he couldn't declassify all of them. Um, but if it was really what it's starting to look like, which was just he just took these mementos to thumb his nose, the previous administration, uh, it just started to feel more and more like an unforced error to me that that happened. Um, and if I'm wrong, then I would love to get your take on it. But a guy named John L. Smith is going to be running the special counsel. So noteworthy, Joel Pollack pointed this out right away for us at Breitbart News. Absolutely no special counsels into people like Hunter Biden, who seemed like he's actually done something wrong. This is where the DOJ's focus is. And his focus, they, they acknowledge it's specifically because Donald Trump is running for president now that they're doing this. Of course, the White House had to say this is not a political act. It's overtly 100% political. There's absolutely no doubt that this is the bureaucracy being weaponized by Joe Biden, Trump's likely opponent in the 2024 presidential race. Um, and that's, that's the, that's where we're at. That's what we're doing in this country now. More investigations of Trump. Do you think we're going to learn anything new about Trump? Do you think we're going to learn anything new about January the 6th and the effort to overturn the election? 
Do you think that we're going to find that these documents were anything worse than what I just said, which was probably a uh, stupid collecting of mementos, mementos, mementos. What is it? Whatever it is, memento. Uh, it's it's going to be a big waste of time for all of us. And we'll see how things get leaked out because if they don't find anything good, it, it might help Trump politically. And I was thinking about, you guys know that I've not been overly impressed with a lot of stuff Donald Trump has been up to over the last couple of years. And not super duper impressed with stuff over the last five years. I say somewhat, just a little bit tongue in cheek, a little bit. Um, but I will say that if you want to make me vote for him, do stuff like this. Keep doing it. Keep doing it. Because this is so offensive, what this represents for our country, that this is one of all the things Merrick Garland, who just strikes me as a total dummy, what he's doing with the Department of Justice, more investigations into Trump. So Trump said he's not going to partake in the special counsel investigation, which I love. It's hilarious. I have no idea how he can pull this off, but I do think it is a, um, that's a hilarious way of putting it. He's not going to participate. <laughs> it's pretty funny. It's pretty funny. He's not, I'm not going to partake in it. He said to Fox news, I'm not going to partake in this. Funny that he was on Fox news though. Gotta admit that's funny. On Fox news digital. When the Murdochs are clearly trying to make sure he doesn't get elected. Here's another one that could make me vote for Trump again is uh, they got Paul Ryan out there. Paul Ryan is like the top anti-Trump spokesperson. And they're doing something here. I can't tell if if they're if this is on purpose. But there's a lot of stuff, you know, the Lincoln Project, the Never Trump Radicals who are, you know, radically anti-Trump. They're sort of moderate politically. They help Democrats, so they claim to be Republicans. Uh, they're out there big against Trump. Paul Ryan saying that we need to get Trump in so that we can win. Uh, the guy who got his butt kicked by Barack Obama and Joe Biden. He knows nothing about beating Joe Biden. And now he's a Fox News executive, which Fox News writes this stuff up. And doesn't always remind people that Paul Ryan's day job is as an executive at Fox. If you keep doing this stuff, I just were, there's so many of us who are uh, open-minded, who like Trump in the past and are open-minded to moving on. Uh, we're just going to keep defending Trump. So you keep praising the guys who are challenging Trump if you're a Lincoln Project person and you keep attacking Trump if you're a Fox News, Paul Ryan, establishment Republican person. Uh, you might force people back to Trump. I'm just saying. So I, I don't know what this is, why Paul Ryan's out there doing this. Such a bad luck. It must, it must just be arrogance because he's probably told by all these donor class people his whole life that he's a special boy, that he really is great. And I don't know if um, that's the case at all. I don't know if he is that great. In fact, I would submit he's not great. I would submit he's kind of a loser. That's just me. That's what I would submit. So it's a, the fact that it's like he doesn't know the first thing about winning. That's That, that to me is what's fascinating. That's his argument. So I'm, I'm curious people, to, I, I will open that up to people. 866-95-PATRIOT. Uh, Matt Boyle spoke to Mike Pence over the weekend. And he asked about the special counsel. Pence will probably run for president, I'm guessing. Um, and regardless of what of what happens, unless Trump just catches fire and starts going over, you know, 
in in the polls, which I don't think is going to happen at this point. So I think Pence is going to run. And he said that this search warrant uh, at Mar-a-Lago was divisive and the DOJ should be working to restore their credibility. No kidding. So he's even going to get praise from people who are potential challengers. Pence has said he thinks the country should move on from Trump, which is an indication he's probably going to run. So let's see where that goes. We have a take on the special counsel. I'm all ears. Um, other big news over the weekend, also Trump-related, Trump-dominating the headlines, as always, is how he likes it, is he has been restored on Twitter. Um, and Musk did this after apparently briefly conducting a poll on Twitter where 15 million people voted. And 48% said Trump should not be allowed back on, and 51% said he should get allowed back on. So Trump has been reinstated. Now, it's good news, I guess, in the sense that uh, is he was apparently banned for life. That was the that was the claim. Trump was banned from Twitter for life. Well, now he's not banned for life. It's also compelling because it's I think it's a really tough call for Trump to get back on it. So I think Trump being off of Twitter has probably helped Trump because I think a lot of people are burning out on the mean insult comedy um, from him. I don't think it's it's helping him as much as it helped him in 2015, 2016. So that's happening. And also true social is that Trump has probably convince shareholders that's going to be where he does all of his tweeting social media. So you can't mislead shareholders if you're essentially in charge of the company. I don't know exactly how it's structured. But if you're a shareholder of True Social or whatever is the parent company of True Social, you're not happy about this news. And if you're Donald Trump, you're in a weird spot. Whereas if you start going on Twitter where he's got, you know, 80 million followers versus True Social, which I, I don't know how many he's got, but let's say it's, you know, 120th that. Then he's um, I, I, he's setting himself up for a shareholder lawsuit for sure. So uh, he said he's going to stay on Truth. That's the right move for now. I think that's at least media-wise. Um. I think uh, Twitter's allowed back on some other people, not Alex Jones, which is noteworthy. Kanye's back on. Babylon B's finally back on. It's kind of funny. I said on Friday's show I was complaining about Babylon B not being back on, and now they are. Um, but it, Musk is going to be is still an impossible task because the left-wingers who drive that platform are looking for the exits. They, they don't want to stay on. They don't want to be in the platform with Trump. They don't want to be in the platform with Kanye. They don't want to be on the platform where you can call a man a man and a woman a woman. So uh, that's a, are you excited about this? I'm more interested from the perspective of, I'm trying to see how the genius Musk is going to figure this stuff out. Because, you know, he is flying rocket ships to Mars. I'm not 100% sure what he's going to do with the rocket ship once the rocket ship gets up there. doesn't really matter. And then he's got the electric cars that aren't very good looking and the batteries are really hard to dispose of. He needs a lot of subsidies for those things. But, you know, they go fast. They go fast. And they charge cheaper than some of the, uh, you know, more established car companies' electric cars. So he's done some impressive stuff. But what is he going to do with this platform where he's got to square the circle between being the free speech guy and being the advertiser-friendly guy? 
So he said that there's going to be freedom of speech, but not freedom of reach, which means that you can tweet whatever you want, but he's going to be shadow banning, which is a concept at Breitbart that Twitter used to, that we discovered um, because we were shadow banned and some of our personalities were shadow banned, which is when you get your uh, content de-boosted without it being explained to you, your follower. So you follow someone and you assume that their content is going to go right into your feed, but it doesn't. And then I could fire off a tweet and I would assume that all my followers are going to see it. And depending on the algorithm, uh, some of their followers will see it. And depending on how uh, hot the tweet is, maybe some other people will see it. That's what you would think if you would use the platform, but of course not. That's not how it works. How it works is that the the content um, gets promoted or deboosted based on some anonymous people you've never heard of who are probably woke and on the left in Silicon Valley. So Musk is going to continue that, but he will allow you to post the content. He won't just say you can't post whatever content we don't like. You can post it. We're just going to make sure almost no one sees it unless you specifically seek it out. So you can go to twitter.com slash Alex Marlowe and you'll see all my tweets, but there's a chance you're still not going to see my content as I fire it off, even if you follow me in your feed, which is how it's always been or how it's been for many years. So that's sort of the plan uh, as of now, and it it bothers me because it seems like the free speech guy is basically taking a page out of Google's playbook. This is how Google does it. And Google can't censor the internet, but they can make sure that if you go to Google, you're not going to get the stuff Google doesn't want, which is why it's so hard to get Breitbart's content in Google, unless you specifically search for Breitbart. If you're specifically seeking out Breitbart, yes, you can find it. It's there. But if you're seeking out cutting edge information on Joe Biden, even if ours is the best in the world, it doesn't make a difference. You're not going to get it because Google won't offer that up to you because it, it shares a narrative about Biden that's not favorable to Google's narrative about him, which is that he's a great guy that protects them. So um, that's that that's where that's at, and I'm curious how it goes, just because I just don't think Musk has figured it out. He's gonna if he's gonna emulate Google, if he's gonna announce that he's gonna do a bunch of censorship, a new censorship regime. If the censorship regime is gonna be not transparent, it's gonna be run by Silicon Valley saviors of the world. Then uh, I just don't see how it works. So, but he's working it out. You know, smart guy. Give him some chance. Give him a chance. But Trump's invited back on. We'll see how that goes. Uh, not not a good weekend to be a billionaire savior of the world. You, you saw Elizabeth Holmes, who was the fraudster who had that company Theranos, which was going to uh, revolutionize medicine by these, I think it was these quick blood tests and stuff, um, which was all total fraud. And she hoodwinked so many smart people into putting money into it. She's going to jail for 11 years. Uh, the Sam, the Sam Bankman-Fried stuff gets even more surreal. Uh, we learned he took a PPP loan, even though the company was worth 10 figures. Pretty cool. So he got 330 grand, I think it was, of your tax dollars. I mean, that's pretty repulsive. That's pretty repulsive that that happened. Um, we've got... What was um, what was the other one that he did? Uh, oh, yeah, he gave him, lent himself a, a billion dollars. And then he cashed out another $300 million that he told investors was a partial reimbursement. Isn't that pretty cool? Partial reimbursement for $300 million. <laughs> I like that. It's good. Investors bought into it. So many suckers out there. 
And of course, people are starting to get the picture that he was funneling so much money to the people who were supposed to investigate him. So he donated $300,000 to lawmakers who are now investigating him. This was his trick. He became one of the biggest Democrat donors, not because he's that passionate about Democrat politics. I think maybe he is. I don't know. But it certainly gets people off your back. They start protecting you. Democrats in particular, this is the game. If you feed them money and they will protect your causes. So uh, we got to stop looking at uh, oligarchs in crypto or in tech and assuming they're going to save us. They're not. The world's not getting better the more uh, we trust these people with our lives and uh, with our brains. Maxine Waters has said Trump is going to lead domestic terrorists on Twitter. Of course, it's not true, but that is going to be a narrative that's going to make it very unsustainable for Twitter to keep their platform going because the the main points of the platform is for celebrities to you know complain about Trump and to complain about right-wing politics and just in general for lefties to be angry with one another in a safe space. It's a safe space for lefties to be angry with one another. All right, back to politics briefly. Um, Hakeem Jeffries is going to be the leader of Democrats, it appears. And I like that because he's an election denier. He's a guy who 100% believes 2016 election was not legitimate. And um, he's just tweeted over and over and over again. Illegitimate, illegitimate cheat. So he's going to be a good character. I'm looking forward to that. Senator Lisa Murkowski has now taken a narrow lead over Kelly Shabaka after more ballots counted in Alaska. Uh, this is a race where Murkowski was backed by the Republican establishment and the Democrat Party. Kelly Shabaka, Trump endorsed, and uh, more MAGA. And this one falls under the category of, well, who didn't know that? Just a matter of time. Because that's how this thing works. That's how cheap by mail works. That's how current election cycle works. Is that... The establishment in the Democrat-backed people, the more the longer we count votes, the longer it goes on. We're, you know, a few weeks since the election at this point, a couple of weeks, the more we're going to learn that uh, the establishment and Democrat-backed candidate is going to win. I'm Joe Biden. turned 80 years old or 80 years young. And um, I see no indication he's slowing down. In some ways, he's speeding up. I think he's in the driver's seat, not just to run, but to win in 2024, which is amazing. So he would be 86 at the end of his second term if that happens. Really interesting interview that Boyle did with James Comer, who is, I think, headed towards House leadership, if not going to have some pretty big uh, committee roles. Republican from Tennessee saying how he's 90% sure Hunter Biden's artwork sold to the Chinese. No kidding. And he's going to be looking into family banking records of the Biden family once they get in and start investigating, which is great. And I love they're going to Breitbart for this stuff because there does need to be some deep, deep investigations that go on and they need to happen right away. Steve Scalise is on. He is headed to the number two post on the Republican side in all likelihood 
assuming Kevin McCarthy does eventually become the speaker, which is far from a guarantee, which we touched on in the interview. And then we get into the agendas, not just for investigations, but for legislation that will be put forward and put in front of Joe Biden. And I get his take on a few other items, such as Hakeem Jeffries, the election denier, who is likely going to be leading the Democrat Party, which is ironic because we were told the worst thing in the world is to be an election denier, right? So there's a lot more we get into in the interview, and he's pretty generous with his time. So you'll get a lot of what he's got to say right now. Congrats, Congressman, and uh, well-deserved. I think you've done a pretty pretty good job of uh, trying to reach out to pretty much every corner of the Republican Party, which is noble and more challenging than it sounds. Uh, but uh, there's still a little bit of a leadership fight left for the Speaker of the House. I'm kind of unclear of what's going on with a few objectors uh, who are on the right, who I agree with on a lot of political stuff, who... Uh, for some reason, are objecting to Kevin McCarthy as the speaker. I, I'm unclear on what the game plan is here, because if he doesn't get through, then then it just seems like some sort of a Democrat puppet is going to be the speaker of the House. if We're not careful here. And it seems very odd to me. So do you have a sense of what's going on? Hey, Alex, good to be with you. And first, thanks for the congratulations. Now that it's official, we're in the majority and starting to work on what that's going to look like uh, for January 3rd in terms of laying out our agenda so we're ready to go day one and of course you know now january 3rd is the first day that the new members get sworn in and then we elect the speaker and so you know if you've been following in the media it takes 218 votes of all the members in the body which is a majority to elect the speaker of the house so kevin mccarthy is our nominee for speaker he'll go up uh, and you know the democrats have nominated hakeem jeffries to be their leader so he would be, in essence, the person that they would vote for. And so, you know, we've got a few more weeks that I think you're going to see a lot of this good work through uh, on the issues. It's really more on the rules, how the how the House is going to operate, where right now we're having some internal discussions. And we've had a lot of these discussions for the last few weeks. And, you know, there's a lot of frustration. And I think everybody would recognize the way Nancy Pelosi ran the House. It was very closed. Uh, committees weren't working. Proxy voting were people in some cases on a big bill 100 members of congress would be back home having someone else vote for them so just the way that the process had been so closed down we need to open it back up again and that's something that we've vowed to do so i think you're going to see everybody come together and then the real work begins alex and that's bringing our agenda the commitment to america which is what we ran on uh, during the campaign to get the economy back on track, to get inflation under control, show the country how we can pass bills through the House to fix the big problems that Joe Biden has created. Um, and so it feels like that's the agenda, but it feels like others have an agenda to not get to that point, do have air some grievances with with kevin mccarthy I, I don't have a relationship with kevin mccarthy he's not a regular on my show he does talk to Boyle quite a bit it just does seem like he's made an effort to try to uh, reach out to all the various factions of the republican party he's done a pretty good job of it which is why he's in this position um and i just don't know what objections are there any concrete objections that are being aired to suggest that he needs to do this and then he'll get the support of the people who are objecting to him on the republican side no, Kevin's done a really good job in you know, helping us get in this position to be in the majority. And he's having conversations with those members that, uh, that have expressed concerns. So, you know, that's why you've got this period between the nomination for speaker and the actual election is to work all of that out. And so, 
you know, we've got through the holidays, both Thanksgiving and Christmas, to get that worked out. And that's what's being done right now. So one thing that I think we're most curious about here on the broadcast is what investigations are going to take place, where they're going to start. Uh, Congressman Comer spoke to Matt Boyle over the weekend and said that family bank records for the Biden family are going to be a focus. Uh, I think that that's that's interesting. Is uh, is there anything that's on your mind that you, where you think that the investigations need to begin? Yeah, you know, we talked during the campaign about two things. One is policy. Uh, and we laid out a very detailed policy for inflation, energy security, border security, uh, controlling uh, crime, making sure that our law enforcement officers have the tools they need. Uh, but that's on the policy side. On, an, on the investigation side, the oversight side, just holding the Biden administration accountable for their actions is something we've talked about a lot on the campaign. We actually put it in our commitment to America. So it should be no surprise that we're going to be doing both starting January 3rd, and Jamie Comer will be the chairman of the Oversight Committee. You saw his press conference with his full committee. They're ready to go to start looking into a lot of the questions that people have had, whether it's, you know, the, the Hunter Biden dealings with, you know, all kind of foreign countries, uh, the laptop scandal, which, you know, the, the liberal media tried to dismiss it when it came out in 2020. It's been verified. Turns out there's a lot of information on that laptop that raises serious questions. And Jamie's committee is going to be asking those. We're going to be asking a lot of other questions. You know, the origins of COVID is something we've talked about a lot and looking into whether or not taxpayer money was used yes. through companies like EcoHealth Alliance to promote gain-of-function research in the Wuhan lab, where many scientists have said that's where COVID started, not at some wet market where a bat ate your animal and the animal ate you or who knows what. They were saying that turns out it doesn't seem to be true, but we've never investigated it because, you know, Speaker Pelosi, Biden don't want to confront China on anything. And we've got to be aggressive there, you know, looking into things like the Afghanistan withdrawal. And, and I know, Alex, you talk about this a lot. You know, the reports that there's $85 billion of the world's best military equipment that was yeah. left behind to the Taliban. What's true about that? We, we've never gotten verification of. Who, who was in the room? Did they make that decision to leave it behind? Was, you know, were there C-130s and all these guns? Like this administration wants to take away your gun. You know, did they leave caches of guns behind to the Taliban with ammunition, a night vision goggles? All of those reports we've seen, there's never been a thorough hearing on it. Who was in the room? Which generals said it's okay to leave that behind so that the Taliban can get it? And China, by the way, is having access, no doubt, to that technology and one day that might be used against our troops. So those are the kind of questions that we've had for a long time. And the administration's just completely ignored those requests and they're not gonna be able to ignore them when we have subpoena power. Uh, there are just so many things that are front and center in my mind. It just seems sort of overwhelming. And I love the Hunter Biden stuff because it's, it's important in the Biden family. And I think it sends a signal. Uh, but there's other there's other things you mentioned, Afghanistan. That, that one seems to be maybe the clearest just debacle, inexcusable failing of this administration so far. Uh, so that seems very worthwhile. Uh, but we're looking at the border numbers right now, Congressman. They're just insane. And if you look at the people who are crossing, what they're crossing with, uh, fentanyl in particular, it, it feels like one that's kind of been pushed off the front page because maybe people have gotten fatigue of hearing about all this horrible stuff. But that's another one. It seems like a huge effort needs to be undertaken to try to get the bottom of this. 
Yeah, and Alex, I said we're we're going to give Secretary Mayorkas a reserve parking spot. He's going to be here so much talking <laughs> about this border crisis, and it's something that you just see them trying to cover up. Uh, they keep saying, "Oh, don't worry, the border's secure." There's overwhelming evidence how out of control the border is, and it's not just the millions of people who have come across illegally. As you touched on, it's the drugs that are killing our young people. You know, the the, the largest cause of death amongst young people up to you know in their 30s is fentanyl overdoses. We lost over 100,000 young people last year from right. deaths that are a direct result of our open southern border. I mean, yeah. imagine if you saw any other cause of death where 300 young people every single day were dying. Alex, 300 young people a day dying. And it's all because of something that President Biden did to open up the border, yet the media doesn't want to talk about it. Well, we need to be talking about it because when I talk to coroners in my district in South Louisiana, they're telling me about the number of deaths they're seeing from fentanyl. Every week, young people in high school and parents are scared to death of letting their kids go to a party because they might eat some Skittle that's laced right. with fentanyl. That's because it's being made in China and the drug cartels in Mexico are bringing it right across our open southern border and killing our young people every day. This has to stop. It's got to be confronted. And we're going to be having hearings on it. And, and it has a real deleterious effect on our national character. And I was thinking about how uh, much we overdid the masks, for example, for young people, even though it became pretty clear early on that young and healthy people were not suffering a lot from coronavirus. We still, to this day, some I'll see kids masked. Stuff like that. I was in uh, Los Angeles, or I am in Los Angeles currently, and they were just outside of it. And I was um, uh, at a bagel shop yesterday, and my two-year-old picked up what looked like a spare button um, off the ground. And But my first thought is, I don't know that's a spare button. Uh, my first thought is, what is that pill-like substance that my two-year-old is now holding? And I freaked out, and I yelled at my two-year-old in the middle of the street, which was you know semi-embarrassing. But this is what a lot of parents are thinking about right now. It's like, we don't know when when it's coming for them. No, it's scare, it scares people to death, and rightfully so, because you see this every, every community you go in, uh, there's deaths. Every week, everybody you ask, if you ask young people anywhere in America that they know somebody who died from a fentanyl overdose, it's going to shock you when you see that pretty much every kid's hand's going to go up. And yet it's yeah. not being talked about. The media won't cover it because they know the cause of it. Is the southern border, they shouldn't care what the cause of it is. They should all join with us and say, let's stop this. Let's confront it. Let's stop it. Let's have hearings to figure out what's going on. And we're going to do that. And, and there's a lot of other issues like that where we need to have hearings to find out why these problems are happening and how we can stop them. And that's going to be a, a busy part of a Congress that, frankly, you haven't seen in, in the last two years under Joe Biden. They haven't had any hearings about accountability because they're scared to death to expose how inept this administration's been. Um, one thing that I'm somewhat heartened by, though I think it comes from a very scary place, is that it feels like people in the establishment and on the left are starting to understand the threat that TikTok is. Um, I've long described it as Chinese mind control, uh, and now it feels like people are getting the picture that this is a way for China to mine a lot of our data and to keep Americans distracted and unproductive and hooked on our technologies, not doing productive stuff. And uh, it feels like people are wisening up to this, but I'm also concerned that it might be because people think that we could be closer to war with China than we all want to believe. Uh, could you opine on any of this? Yeah, you know, this was a concern raised years ago, and 
China's owned by a, a company, but it, I mean, right, TikTok is owned by a company that is Chinese based. And in the laws of China, if a company is headquartered in China, uh, based in China, then the Chinese Communist Party has access to the data that goes through. So if they call up ByteDance, Jones TikTok, and say, right. you know, give us the data that you have, then they turn it over. And so your data is going to end up in the hands of the Chinese Communist Party if you're participating on TikTok. It's something everybody ought to know because, uh, you know, everybody's using it. Young people are using it all the time. Posting things, there's biometric data, there's a lot of other things that they're putting on TikTok. And, you know, parents especially ought to know where their kids' private information is ultimately going to end up. And that's in the hands of the Chinese Communist Party. An interesting one is what to do about the January the 6th committee, which has been a huge waste of time and money. But there's also a case to be made that it's gone on for so long. Now the Republicans are taking the Congress. Uh, Maybe what should be done is a bunch of people who are involved in the uh, any of the various hoaxes that have been done to target President Trump, uh, for example, that maybe they should get hauled in front of the committee and, and have a bunch of questions asked of them. Have you given this any thought? Yeah, we're having those conversations, but just remember, there are a lot of, any issue that that you might have a question about, there's a standing committee that already has jurisdiction over that. You don't need all these select subcommittees. You know, we're going to go through and see, should we get rid of all of them, most of them? But at the end of the day, uh, there are a lot of issues that we thought should have been investigated that haven't been. And that's getting ready to start. You saw Jamie Comer's committee roll it out, Jim Jordan's chairman, will be chairman of the Judiciary Committee. And, and, of course, he's got jurisdiction over a lot of federal agencies that we've had questions about from FBI, DOJ, uh, you know, some of the, uh, the Steele dossier, the, you know, all the Russian hoax that happened, as you mentioned. Those are all questions that we've had for a long time. And now we're going to have an opportunity to start looking into those things. One thing that Biden's been trying to do is try to figure out ways to appropriate funds from the executive branch. Uh, He tried this with the student loan forgiveness, which is really just a debt transfer from uh, certain taxpayers to others. And uh, it it feels like he's trying to come up with ways either using COVID emergency protocols uh, to spend money. And it seems kind of he's unilaterally doing this in a few different ways. Uh, This is a cause for concern. Uh, Is this on the agenda right now? Oh, it absolutely is. And just abuse of funds across the board. You know, you, you go back to the, the COVID relief funds when they did the $1.9 trillion package right when Biden came in and every Republican opposed it because we knew that was going to directly lead to inflation, paying people not to work, bailing out failed states. And inevitably, one of the things we said is, you know, a lot of these payments are going to go to people not that are down on their luck, but people that are turning down jobs, uh, people that are here illegally, people in federal prisons. And the Democrats said, no, no, none of that's going to happen. Well, of course, Alex, it did happen. You know, we found out that the Boston bomber got a check. Uh, How many other checks, how many tens of billions of your taxpayer dollars went to people illegally? And why doesn't the Biden administration care about it? It's, It's your money. It's not like it's their money. They should be angry, too, that your money got wasted. But I guess they're worried that it might embarrass them because they didn't do a good job of handling your taxpayer money. So we're going to be investigating uh, all of the hundreds of billions of dollars that went out to places that it shouldn't have gone. And, and trying to get that money back, by the way, why doesn't the government 
when they waste your money, why don't they go try to get it back as aggressively as they try to get it from you? Uh, Congressman Steve Scalise is on with me. He will be the majority leader when the new Congress uh, takes place in January. Uh, two more for today. I, I got to get your quick take on um, what is uh, with uh, Hakeem Jeffries, who's likely going to be the new leader of the Democrat Party. And he's got a history of election denial. He it was insistent the 2016 election was not a legitimate election, which I was told is the worst thing you can worst position you can have in American politics right now. Uh, have you had much interaction with Mr. Jeffries and are you excited to work with him? I know, I know him and, you know, way more cordial than, you know, some of their other members. But if you look at just first with Speaker Pelosi leaving, you know, that was one of the things that we ran on saying we need to change the way the House is run and, and the way Speaker Pelosi has run the House. And, you know, truly the end of an era with her leaving uh, leadership. She said she's going to stay in Congress. Uh, but at the same time, we've got to open Congress back up again and make it work again. And so, you know, whoever on their side wants to work with us on the things that we ran on, you know, we want energy independence. I know there are a lot of Democrats who say they support energy independence. We're going to give them an opportunity to vote for bills that will address these problems, that will reduce inflation. You know, anybody that wants to work with us to secure America's border, we're going to be bringing bills to do it. And I would hope Democrats would want to secure the border with us. We're going to do it. Hopefully they do, too. And, and most importantly, President Biden's going to have the answer uh, now for the bills that we pass through the House. Would he sign or veto bills? that are going to lower your energy costs. Absolutely. When families are struggling. Everyone knows how families are struggling. Let's help those families get back on their feet by passing good bills that focus on them again. Uh, Kevin McCarthy said that he's going to remove Eric Swalwell, Adam Schiff, and Ilhan Omar from House committees. Uh, do, do you support this, and what's the rationale behind it? Yeah, you know, there's concern when, when Speaker Pelosi broke the precedent that each party picks their own members of committees. We determine in the majority what the allotment is, how many seats on each committee go to the Republicans versus the Democrats. But it had always been up to that party to pick their members. And Pelosi broke that uh, by kicking uh, people like Marjorie Taylor Greene off her committee and Paul Gosar. That was just a, a, a basic violation of the way that the House works when Jim Jordan and Jim Banks were kicked off the January 6th committee. It showed they didn't want that to be a fair and impartial committee. Uh, it was just a little witch hunt committee. So, uh, you know, we, we definitely are looking at some of the members that they're going to appoint for committees and use that standard against them if that's what they want to do. But at the same time, we've got to get back to passing bills in the House uh, in public view, by the way, not Speaker Pelosi writing them in her speaker's office, but having the committees on C-SPAN in public view writing these bills that are going to help the families who are struggling across America. So that's what our main focus is, getting the work for those hardworking families who are struggling. Uh, Congressman, we got a minute, and I'll, I'll ask, do you have a favorite bill concept that you're thinking about right now or top one or two that you want to take on day one? Yeah, you know, inflation and energy are top, front, and center with families that are struggling right now, and, and just the high cost of everything is it's crushing middle- and lower-income families the most. And so we want to come out the box with our committees focused on getting bills together that are going to address the higher cost of things that families are paying. But also the border crisis is, is such a daily threat to our national security. Uh, you know, we're going to have committees that are quickly going to be going to work to put together a package of bills to secure America's border. 
So you're going to have a lot of hearings. You're going to also have a lot of action on bills to address those kind of problems and finally pass bills through the House floor that are focused on the struggles of hardworking families. Thanks, Congressman. Steve Scalise, he will be the majority leader in just a scant few weeks. And happy Thanksgiving to you. And thanks, as always, for joining me. Happy Thanksgiving, Alex. Great to be with you. God bless. That is today's broadcast, and I want to thank producers Zach Jones and Greg Eben, as well as Robert Marlowe, Helping Pick Topics, Jerome Hudson, who uh, has been hosting a little bit, and will be doing some more again this week, which I appreciate. And I do wish all of you a great Thanksgiving, in case we don't speak between now and then. Enjoy yourselves and your family and your life, and I'll talk to you soon. Oh,